you you have uh, some sunlight. One. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we explore why you have a gap in your business and the gap is between marketing, sales and operations. But fear not, we have the solution for you. And we are going to unpack that solution bit by bit in the next 25 minutes, ladies and gentlemen, with Jose Palamino. Welcome, Jose. Hey. <laughs> hey, I love it, Simon. Great. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about who you are and about your company. Oh, sure. Thank you, Simon. So uh, again, Jose Palomino, I live in the uh, East Coast of the United States and outside of Philadelphia and uh, run a company called Value Prop Interactive, which uh, we launched probably over a dozen years ago. And specifically to address the lack of synergy between and, and a lot of B2B organizations between strategy setting marketing and sales processes in very large companies those things are very siloed and in the mid market which is where i focus primarily uh they're not siloed as much as they're not developed as processes they just you know you kind of have like owner leaders who do a good job running their business for their customers but aren't really thinking strategically they're not thinking about marketing processes so they end up over investing in a lot of things that are maybe good things to do like trade shows or seo and so on but it's never following a real framework or plan and that's what we help them do is really figure out like hey all those things might be good things to do but which of those things should you be doubling down on which ones should you move money around from or maybe not do at all or start doing and and that's what we help people figure out yeah. So if they don't have a marketing system, sales system, operation system, what do they do all the time? Basically what other people do or? That's a great, great question. No, what happened, you know, what happens is they, they, they're smart people, right? Otherwise they wouldn't have a $10 million company or a $20 million company. So they took it as far as they could. And they often, they often apply like just like a lot of effort. They have some big accounts and so it's okay if they're satisfied with that being okay. But if they're thinking, and, and most people know that unless you're really driving a business toward growth, you're really driving towards atrophy. We've all seen that, I'm sure you've seen that in your practice. Company kind of tries to stay flat. You can never stay flat. You have to be moving forward or the market will squeeze you down. And so as a result, what they end up doing is um, they'll, they'll have like, well, I have a salesperson, I have two salespeople and uh, I have a marketing firm but they kind of abdicate the thinking part of those things to the third party. So they're saying, well, they'll know what to do. And the reality is not necessarily your business is unique and you have to, every strategy, not every strategy that you read about can work for every business. So you really have to think, and I know you live in the world of strategy. It's all about really thinking through what do you want to do? Who do you serve best? What problems do you solve? And how do you plan on reaching that market that you want to reach? and doing so in a way that's compelling, right? And, and, that's, and that's really a challenge. So a lot of these companies haven't, they're so busy running the thing at $10 million that taking some like space, mental and time space on the schedule to say, let's take, let's take a day or two to really think it through. Or they do it poorly. They do the executive retreat, they rent the cabin, they take the leadership team, 
and they don't have a third party facilitator. So the CEO says, this is what I think we should do. But by all means, tell me if you disagree. And like, who's going to disagree with the boss was just paying for the, the cabin for three days, right? So eventually you end up just rubber stamping whatever the CEO thinks is right. And by the way, he's not a clown. He, he's pretty smart. He built a business or she built a business. So it's not going to be all wrong, but it's not optimized. And that in this world that we're living in today, um, things are moving so fast. Borders are being dissolved, obviously, with in almost every business category. Uh, just being good enough is not good enough. You have to really think about how, how do you drive that next level. And do you work with these big companies in tearing down the silos or do you work with the small teams in building up the systems and aligning? Yeah, primarily it's in the mid-market. The very big companies, and, I, and we've done our share of like large corporate assignments with uh, either in the area of sales excellence, sales training, the challenge there is you can't get high enough typically for a company like our size to get high enough into a fortune 500 company when they're going to go to one of the big brand name consulting firms to that could put a whole team in place that's a different kind of problem that they have and you also have the executives in those teams uh they all have their own territory right so the cmo is not going to concede a decision making over their area of expertise to the head of sales, the CRO. So those two have to cooperate, but they also have to kind of respect each other's boundaries. And the CEO in a large corporation is often, it's not an owner necessarily, rarely. I mean, you may have like your, your, your com kind of like Bill Gates and stuff who were owner operators for a long time into being a large company, but typically they are hired executives, right? These are mature companies, but in the mid market, it's different. The leadership team, is in the same office, right? They're like next door to each other. There's really no reason for there to be silos there. The bigger challenge in the mid-market is they, their roles are missing. They really don't have like a CMO or a VP of marketing or strategy, They don't. that doesn't exist. It's the CEO owner, founder, and maybe a head of sales, and maybe they'll have like a marketing kid, somebody right out of college who runs like gets brochures printed and things like that. And they think they have a marketing function. And and that's the challenge. So so you really have to think about, I think it's the latter part that you that you uh, uh, alluded to, it's building processes that are non-existent, like that they don't even know could be possible. Like you can actually think through marketing at a different level and it can be done. And one of the things we, you know, we're very excited about and proud of the things we've done, uh, Simon, is I've always tried to right size big ideas to the appropriate thing for a mid market or small to mid market company. The reality is a lot of the marketing literature, and I teach you know strategic marketing at, at Villanova University for the graduate school, and I teach entrepreneurial marketing. And I always start with what's the difference, uh, and the big difference is you know the strategic marketing textbooks are all about big company examples so if you're running a 15 million dollar company and you read a book a great book like blue ocean strategy you say i got to revolutionize my industry well the reality is most contract manufacturers for example or small oem making a machine you're not going to revolution you're not going to be apple that's just not realistic it may happen great but like that's a that's a lightning bolt the reality though is you can actually grow you can grow despite not being the apple of your category. You have to be better than your competitors, at least marginally. And an example I love to use, Simon, is this. 
when you watch the Olympics and you see the runners, uh, when they win, like Usain Bolt, the best named athlete ever, right? Usain Bolt, uh, he wins by fractions of a second. He wins consistently by fractions of a second. And when they give him the gold medal, they give him the whole gold medal. They don't give him a part of the gold medal. They don't say, well, you only won by 0.1 seconds. So we're going to give you 0.1 of the medal. You get the whole gold medal. And it's like that in business. And, and I really want to encourage uh, people who are in that middle market. You don't have to necessarily be a world beater, but you have to be better than your competitive set in a couple of marginal areas. And if you do that consistently, you'll win more and better business. So that's really a relief to a lot of owners who read all the literature about being world beaters and good to great and think these are good books, but they're all about big companies that have billions of dollars worth of resources. You know, one of my favorite examples is Microsoft with the Xbox, the first Xbox, they wrote off $1.5 billion because it failed their first Xbox. So what they did is they went downstairs to the basement, picked up another few billion dollars worth of cash, and they did it again until they got it right. They could do that. Most small businesses, you get like one shot. So I like to talk about incremental improvements that can, if you multiply, and you know, the, the, the idea that if A times B times C times D, if you each improve by 10%, you actually get a 46% improvement. So you start thinking about those factors, it gets very exciting, you realize, oh, growth is possible, and we don't have to necessarily revolutionize the world as we know it. We just have to get better at these areas. I'm curious, who do you pick for the strategy award? So this person, when everybody is zigging, this person is zagging. But from your perspective, they are doing the right thing. Who do you pick? Well, there's a there's a small company uh, who's... Uh, it's in the Pennsylvania area, and I've actually been privileged to work with them. And it's a company called Lancaster Products, and it's headed up by CEO, uh, investor owner, uh, Kurt Snyder. And uh, he took a sleepy company, been around for 50 years, that had a mixing technology that was different than all the other standard mixing, like for powder mixings and stuff. So these are machines like six-figure machines, right, that are put into assembly lines to make powdered products could range anything from like fertilizer to, you know, some sort of powder that would go into uh, not food grade, but anything else that had to be mixes and pigments and things like that. But their technology could mix the material more thoroughly. And not only that could actually do something which is called pelletizing. So you not only mix the powder, but you turn it to small pellets. So a consistent pellet, every pellet the same as every other. Amazing in one step. Every other technology in the market requires you to mix it and you do it a lot slower than, than the technology Lancaster has. And then you have to run it into a separate process to dry it and then pelletize it. So one machine replaces three and it's like three times faster. Amazing, right? But what he did was he said, huh, we got to get really good at making these machines. So he, he invested in the engineering to really make the process of him making the machines more efficient, more consistent. So he improved the quality of the machine. Then he realized the application of it. He says, people won't believe this because it's like people are going to say, how is this possible that you're so much better? A few companies knew about it. So he committed to video and like not necessarily like, you know, uh, uh, Madison Avenue production, but a lot of video examples. So it's a Lancaster It's a, it's fascinating case studies 
things like that. And slowly but surely, he started really cracking markets that said, wow, we never, why haven't we heard about this before? And he said, well, I don't know about that, why you haven't heard about it before, but I'm telling you about it now. And he demonstrated it. So he's really thought through, even as a smaller company, and again, not a tiny, teeny, tiny company, but, was, you know, but not a Fortune 500 company, he could compete with much larger companies because he figured out, he said, okay, I have to communicate my value and I have to do it consistently. And he did that. And I have to really zero in, and this is what we did some positioning work with him on the fact that their technology was radically better in throughput than alternative technologies available. And I said, really stand on that. That's a big story. And he's making that big story. And if they've, even through the last couple of, you know, the last two years of COVID and stuff, he's been making headway. So I love to see an operator, an owner operator of a business kind of crack the code and figure it out and, uh, and, and, and leverage advantages that were already in the business. And he's done that. So that's my strategy award nominee for, for today. Thank you. And what are books that touched you recently? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, more recently, in the last couple of years, one of the best books I read is a book called The Checklist Manifesto. And uh, it's written by a surgeon who was realizing that uh, surgical outcomes in the developing world were really poor. And he wanted to understand why that was. And he was affiliated with the UN and so on. Uh, Atul Gawande is his name. And, and then he realized that other industries like uh, pilots, they go through the checklist every time before they take off and before they land. Every time, even though they may have taken off and landed a thousand times. It doesn't matter. And he realized that in the surgical, according to him, I don't, I'm not an expert in this, but he is. Uh, he's a Harvard trained and, and so on. And, and he says in, in the surgical theater, there wasn't that process. It was the expectation is the surgeon knew what was going on and everybody kind of knew what they were doing. A lot of companies do that, right? They show up and they, and they, they, everybody, well, we all know what we're supposed to do, but in reality, you miss steps along the way, little steps in any process, whether it's your sales process, your customer success process, marketing process, and certainly in operations, you can miss steps. So the book in like 200 and some odd pages really captures the essence of the need for breaking down processes into small steps. And he just, and it's really exciting. And it's exciting what he did with it. And actually, uh, because of his affiliation with the UN, they've they established protocols in the last 10 years that are now being used throughout the developing world and in the developed world. And it's fascinating. He's like, his ideas change the world in a way that many people would never hear about. But that's exciting to me to hear, to see, you know, one idea that could really have such leverage. And of course, you know, historically, you know, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, very inspirational to me when I was like a teenager, just talked about the power of the mind to think about an idea and then actually develop plans to execute that idea. I thought that was very exciting to me. It appealed to me. And it kind of put me on the path that I've been on for a long time now in business. And of course, the Bible, which, you know, kind of tells you there is some like truth with a capital T in the world. And that's encouraging to me. It tells me, okay, it's not all craziness because sometimes you look out at the world and you think it's all craziness. Um, and it just, it gives me that kind of centeredness that I need every day to operate. Beautiful. The checklist manifesto, I think was nominated 
here in 400 episodes for the first time. Thank you for that. Okay, excellent, excellent. <laughs> and, and so you have a wonderful method of how you help people align sales, marketing, and operations. Do you want to share a little bit of that magic with us? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we, we've done that a lot of different ways through consulting and training and coaching and so on. That's modality. But at the essence of it, and, and what, we, what we are very excited about now, what we're working on now, is rolling out what we call a competitive edge program. Because we realize that it really comes down to that little competitive edge, which I alluded to before with the runner and the Olympics and so on. So it's it essentially how B2B businesses can win more and better business by incrementally improving four key growth discipline areas. Their value proposition, their value delivery, their lead generation, and their opportunity conversion, how well they actually convert opportunities once they get them. And if you do improvements in all four of those areas, what it ends up pulling together the entire organization, right? So you have to bring sales together to that conversation. You have to bring operations together in that conversation. And you certainly have to bring marketing strategy. All those things are there. But, you know, that value proposition isn't a tagline. It's actually getting to the heart of, like, who do we really serve? What problem do we really solve? And how do we solve it in any way that's any different than the way other people are doing it? So what ends up happening, though, sometimes is businesses come up with really good ideas on the whiteboard about what they want to tell the world they do. We're on time. We're uh, better quality, whatever those things are. And, and then they don't check with operations. Can they deliver on those promises? Like, that's the thing. You can't promise what you can't deliver. When I wrote my book, Value Prop, uh, about 10 years ago, and uh, that was one of the things I really emphasized. I said, you cannot just put lipstick on a pig. You, ha you can't just dress up what you say you, you do. You have to always iterate between what you want to say you do and what you actually can do. If what you need to say you do to win business is beyond the capability of your business to perform, then ask yourself, can we improve our performance levels to, so we can make those promises. And sometimes that means some hard thinking about your quality, about your internal processes and so on. But getting in front of your actual reality, all that does, it creates, it creates a list of very angry customers. You promise this and you can't deliver. So only promise what you can deliver, but then think about what you need to promise and then what you need to deliver. And then lead generation, I'm talking now B2B. B2B is all about talking. You have to connect with customers. And that's changed radically, as we all know. The world of sales has changed. So that's too big a topic to get into now. But you have to really think about how do we get our next set of prospects. And last but not least, and in the mid-market, this is something that completely gets overlooked and poorly addressed, is the issue of opportunity conversion. How good are we at actually selling? So what often happens is we put somebody in, in that position because we sell a technical product. So we hire somebody who's like an engineer. And so we're going to have the engineer be the salesperson because as the owner, I'm impressed when the engineer tells me all the stuff they know about the technology we sell. But the reality is, yes, that's a nice thing to have. And you need product knowledge to sell effectively in technical categories. But you also need to respect that sales is its own science and art and that it needs skill in that dimension. You actually have to be good at doing it. You have to be an organized person to do that. You have to always think about how do I shorten my sales cycle? What information are people asking me all the time? What objections am I running into all the time that I shouldn't be treating like it's a hot potato all of a sudden? Oh my goodness, they said we're too expensive. 
they're all going to tell you that you're too expensive. That's a standard operating procedure for a buyer. How do you respond to that? You shouldn't be surprised about how you respond to that. It shouldn't shock you. So those four areas, we help people figure out. And again, I emphasize the incremental improvements. Those are realistic improvements that you can do. And if you improve all four of those areas, you will increase sales. You will protect your margins. You will shorten your sales cycles and you'll increase your lead flow. That sounds great. If people go, hey, hey, that's what I need. Where do they find you? Where, where can Sure. They well, our, our overall corporate site is valueprop.com. That's V-A-L-U-E-P-R-O-P, one word, valueprop.com. And the competitive edge program is at valueprop.com slash forward slash edge. Make it simple. And there's a page that describes that all the way through to like budget and how to talk. We can talk about it and so on. And it really very transparently lays out the details of the program. What are you excited about looking forward with your team? I, I, I'm very excited. And this is actually an interesting thing, um, how things have changed in the last two years, right? So one of the things I'm very excited about is I think, uh, and it's actually uh, something that I've had to change my mind about. I thought we were going to go back, like a lot of people, we're going to go back to normal, right? Once. COVID is gone, we're going to go back to normal. Um, the reality is a lot of businesses are embracing the new Zoom reality. And they prefer it in some cases. You know, I had a former client that has like a 12-person sales team. And in the middle of COVID, they had to go fully into Zoom. And they saved like half a million dollars on travel budget. And they didn't lose any sales. In fact, they increased sales because they increased their coverage capability. Because you could have five appointments in a day where before it was like one appointment a day if you had to travel to it. And there's still opportunity to meet face-to-face -face in person. But Simon, we've developed a relationship and you're in Austria, I'm in, in, in Philadelphia. It's possible. And you can do that. Now, yes, it'd be great to break bread with you one day, right? So I would love that opportunity. And, and I think everybody needs to do that if you're going to develop customers. But for me, what I'm excited about is the things I do, the things we do as a firm, we can do worldwide now as, as long as i can speak the language which in my case would be english and spanish and i could do both and, and, and that's a lot of the world <laughs> okay so uh and that's exciting to me where before business like ours would be very regionalized on the east coast because you have to always show up it's two-day workshops and stuff like that the other thing that i'm excited about is and we've done this already successfully over the last year is we take our programs that used to be done because of geography and being on site as like a two or three day deep dive session, we now break it down over like 90 days. You do it in weekly meetings and people retain it much more deeply. They actually can engage more fully. Um, you, you've, I'm sure you've seen it where, you know, the three day session, by the end of the third day, people are fried and it's not optimal for learning in an application. And, and then you miss out on something else too. And I call it the marin marinating factor, right? You have to marinate, like preparing meats for barbecues. So you marinate it, right? So I like the idea that I can do a session on, let's say, targeting on a Monday. And we meet again next week or in two weeks' time. And in the interim, everyone's kind of thinking about targeting, targeting, targeting. So when we get back and recap on that, you also you got these new ideas that if you just said, okay, next chapter, let's move on to the next topic, and you leave it behind, you never get that opportunity. 
So I'm very excited about the, 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 the world has been educated in how to do this now online. I don't have to tell, convince people that doing things online is possible. And that opens up, I think, not only an alternative from a cost and delivery point of view, but I think we can actually create better outcomes. I love the marinating example. My kids and I, my boys and I, we, we love to cook and we cook a lot. And it always starts with mise en place and then marinating. And then it stays there <laughs> half a day. And if we don't do that, it's a completely different meat. It's not the same. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's, what, and that's how programs like ours would typically, and it's because client expectations was you're going to do the two-day master workshop and, you, and you're blowing through material even if you pause and say, everybody with me, let's, you know, you can do all of that. But the fact is, it's not the same. And marinating is the difference. And that's now possible with the way people expect these things to, to be done. And we had, we had a similar um, transition over the last years because, you know, when you say as an advisor, you say, okay, now this is how you do closing the sales. And then if it would be a workshop, there is no action in between. So you need information, action, learning from action, information, mm -hmm. action, learning from action. That's the loop, the action learning loop, right? Right. When you tell them this is, this is targeting, and then they go around and collect information about targeting, their own objections, their question mark, their irritation, some snippet of an article that they read. And then they come back with much more informed questions because they have no action and your your insights and the wisdom and it all together now they have actionable insights absolutely yeah and that's and i've seen that and i think i think if we can leverage that again i, I always look at it this way it, will it create a better result for the client and it does it, it, somebody going through a leadership team going through a a learning and application process because our thing is not primarily training per se, we call it done with you consulting, right? So we come alongside you, we're going to figure out your stuff, but you need some, I mean, the brain needs time to process in the subconscious. And you don't get that if you're just banging through topic, topic, topic. I love this. And uh, Jose, who should be my next guest? Well, you know, there's uh, a, uh, a consultant who also really gets a hold of the idea of uh, integrating these disciplines. His name is Adam King. He's out of the UK. And I've been fortunate to have him on my podcast. And I've been on his and I just find the conversation is always it's like we build on it. We're excited about these things. So I think Adam King would be a great guest, especially down uh, developing on the uh, the theme of the integration of the key disciplines to get better results. I think Adam's a really sharp guy and well worth uh, time to talk to. Thank you so much, Jose, for sharing your journey, your wisdom, your tools with our community. Please come back soon. I appreciate it, Simon. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days.